everything, pour everything into this week. It's one week season. Um, we're going to look up on Sunday morning and either be four and three or five and two. Uh, whatever our guys got, they need to pour into this week to try to give us the best chance. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. A special milestone moment for us as Boomer travels this weekend to the land of 10,000 lakes. We can now claim 10,000 followers here at the Redcast. Thank you all so much again for your support. All right. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? We are at the midpoint of the football season. It's time to reassess, take stock of the season that has been, and uh, figure out how we can still win the West and eventually the Big Ten Championship. So let's go. Always on the bright side. All right, Mac. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I just want to reach out to the rest of the Redcasters and just acknowledge that we share in the excitement that all of them have, just knowing that Bill Callahan is back in the head coaching ranks of football, even if only professional. <laughs> Joe Daly, I'm sure, is just calling him Billy C already right now. Uh, all right, good stuff, guys. Uh, as Mac alluded to, we are at the halfway point, and uh, we've got a long way to go to the finish line, and uh, we are at a 4-2 and two record at this point, thanks to a uncomfortable victory against Northwestern. Honky called that last week. Uh, 13-10. It wasn't always pretty. And, uh, you know, going into this show, uh, I was talking to a lot of folks and uh, like, hey, you know, we need to take a a hard look at what we're doing offensively and defensively. And and are we actually a better team right now? And and ask Honky some tough questions. But, you know, Honk, uh, I think you might be right in the sense that there is some progress still, even though it wasn't a, uh, a pretty game out there on Saturday. Uh, what do you think of the Northwestern victory? Yeah, I think that's the starting point with it is just talking about progress. It's not saying that we're there, that we've made it. It's just that we're getting there. We're on the way to it. A year ago, we easily lose that game, right? We would have found ways to lose. And this year, we found ways to win. We're going to get into the offense and the details of it. And, and Northwestern had a pretty decent defense there. But in general... Before I even get into some of the specifics a little bit later, I just want to say that we were doing the things to win an uncomfortable game. Mm-hmm. And I had one person talk to me and go, my gosh, we scored 10 points right away and we couldn't score the rest of the game. What, what's up with that? Watch Michigan-Iowa four hours earlier. You would have seen the exact same thing. This is what Big Ten football can be like unless your name is Ohio State. So if your expectation was that we're Ohio State, you're right. We failed. Yes, but we if your expectation, but if your expectation was that we're just like any other Big Ten team right now, and we just need to struggle through and get wins, the team that we're going to play this week, that's number twenty-five in the country and five and zero. Oh, uh, look at the beginning of their schedule, and it wasn't great competition, but they struggled through and they got wins. They get a little bit better, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're ranked right. So win these games. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Win the games. This is a game to me. I we made a ton of progress here. Yeah, you know, uh, Mac Sam McCune had a, a good article which kind of detailed like, look, we went up against a pretty darn good Northwestern defense. I think I actually heard today on the radio that by some metrics they're the six six best defense in the country right now from statistical standpoint. And Sam made the point that I mean Wisconsin only had two hundred and some yards I think against Northwestern and actually scored less offensive uh, touchdowns and points than we did. Um, several other schools also struggled against that Northwestern D. So, um, in relative terms, uh, maybe we shouldn't be looking, uh, so down on that offensive performance, uh, on Saturday. You know, that was one of those games, Dave, I, I went to the game, saw it live. I'm always have a little bit harder time digesting what the offense looks like a few in person. I'm almost out of practice at it. But, um, when I went back and rewatched the game, yeah, I expected to see more hesitation out of Adrian. I expected to see worse passes by Adrian. But when I when I rewatched the game, I didn't think we looked that far off. You know, it was always a penalty here. We had some some ill timed drops. And it, one thing you see with Northwestern, and we knew about this coming in, is they were gonna they were gonna get their run fits. They weren't gonna miss tackles, and they were gonna make you earn it all the way down the field. And that's what happened. Um, were we perfect on offense? No. But were we kind of struggling to kind of create some, create some, I guess, offensive momentum when you talk about the fact that Maurice Washington didn't play for the first half? So he's gone. So that's out of the equation. JD Spielman was clearly hobbled by the end of the game. So I, you know, Honky, you talked about it last week. 
I want to see us grind out an ugly Big Ten win. Well, we just did. That was ugly, and we grounded out, and we knew it was going to be that way. I mean, we talked about, like, ideal case scenario. We start walking away from this game, but none of us really thought that was going to happen, you know. We we get it done. We bring in a backup quarterback. We bring in a, a specialist about kicking footballs through trees, apparently, and still getting them up across the, the goalpost. So it's it's a weird game. Caught a couple breaks, but... Played mistake-free for the most part. That's improvement. Hmm. We won the turnover margin. That's an improvement. Yep. And, you know, we beat Northwestern at home, which is something we, traditionally since we moved to the conference has been something that we're, uh, we struggle with. So it's a win. We'll take it as a win all day. It's true. Boomer, your special teams coordinator, um, not perfect just like the rest of the game, but uh, when it mattered, the, the kick went through the uprights, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, I've watched it kick several times it still amazes me that got through there i mean it sounded like it was blocked and everybody and their dog everybody and their dog had an arm up except for that one little gap where he managed to kick the ugliest ball i've ever seen you know actually make it over the uprights but that's all that matters in the end is that it did and northwestern had a chance to take the lead with a field goal and they whiffed on it and again that's the importance of special teams we've talked about it time and time again and Hey, hockey. So, I mean, that's a victory on, on homecoming, right? You're down uh, enjoying some of the homecoming festivities, right? Yeah, it was a great weekend on campus in general. I mean, they had a Ferris wheel on the, the east side, and they had Hannah Houston was playing there, and Cornstock was the, the concert they had on Friday. So it was a really great weekend just down on campus in general. Uh, we recorded our rapid reaction at They Design Fraternity, yeah. a special place in my heart. And didn't end up going to the game like you did, Mac. I was at Barry's, uh, which has Plowboys inside of it. And I guess that's a little news, Dave, that we can announce here now officially. We've, we've been wanting to say it for the last few weeks and just couldn't. But uh, we have our first sponsorship. And uh, the Plowboys Barbecue, which is found inside Barry's, absolutely great food. Boomer and I went there a couple weeks ago uh, during that opening night uh, for the basketball. The burn ends were amazing. The... Oh, the nachos that we had, the pulled pork nachos. They had some mac and cheese. It was outstanding. Sounds so Redcasters, I mean, absolutely go there. Tell them the Redcast sent you. Um, great food. But it was also a great place to watch the game. I took a video of the final kick and, and posted it on on <laughs> social media right afterwards. And it's about 30 seconds long, me just kind of like going around, spanning the crowd. But the place went nuts. That was a, a crazy finish and a, a great win. That's awesome. Uh, just quick shout out to uh, Plowboys Barbecues owners Jamie and Kevin Fitzpatrick and Kevin Duffy. Very cool that you're uh, sponsoring uh, us. We're going to have a segment. It's the Barbecue and A. Our mailbag has now been renamed, and you'll be hearing that. So it's uh, perfect. We're looking forward to uh, working with these guys in the future. And now, scoring explosion the offensive breakdown. All right, Hockey, let's uh, take a look at the offensive side of the ball here first, of scoring explosion. And uh, I think your film room session you had on Twitter was awesome this week, Honk. It really, uh, as I was kind of mentioning in the opening there, uh, uh, as I watched the game and the frustration kind of with the offense never seemed to be in sync, uh, and the lack of uh, scoring production, obviously, for most of the game. I really, you know, wanted to take a hard look at the offensive line, and uh, you did some great film breakdown, trying to show some positive progress, if you will, right? Um, but it is interesting to be looking at the the snaps, which are still an issue, and people are very frustrated with that. Sometimes I was watching the again the the, the film room, which showed me situations where it seemed like the scheme was uh, really well thought out, but the execution just isn't quite there. Uh, one that I actually saw uh, just watching the game over again was a third and four where Adrian uh, ran the ball. And it was a cool design play where uh, Hymas is, is pulling at the tackles, pulling, and Jack Stoll is following him into the hole. And you're like, well, there's two lead blockers essentially, but they don't get there quick enough. Adrian's getting pressure from the other side, and he has to essentially hit the hole before they do. There's lots of examples of like that in this offense right now where it's just not quite clicking quite yet. Uh, what are you seeing on that offensive line in the Northwestern game that gives you hope that it's going to get better over the next six? I, I don't know if this is exactly that you're referring to, but there's one that Chaz and SoCal tweeted us about, and it was a play where I think it's called pin and fold blocking. There's pin and pull, and I've been trying to look up some of the terminology, but basically the tackle comes from the outside in. It was the left tackle, uh, Hymas. Mm-hmm. He pulls around the, the left guard, 
And ideally, if he pulls up and gets to the inside linebacker, it's a QB draw, yeah. and Martinez has all the room in the world to run. Instead, he double teams the center on the nose tackle. Nobody blocks the inside linebacker and ends up being literally a one-yard play. Yep. Those are the kind of examples I think you're talking about, Dave, where it's like literally we're getting down to the, the finite details, and it's like yeah. one guy gets blocked a little differently, and the play can be completely different. So it looks disastrous on the outcome, but the reality is is what it would take to be a difference of a one-yard run and a 10 or more-yard run isn't that much. So those are the things I think that you want to see. When I When I did some of the film breakdown, I looked at the touchdown run that – uh, Wandell had, you know, our right tackle, he has a pancake block on a pull from the right tackle all the way around to the outside on the left. It's outstanding. Now, if I want to get really, really finite onto some of the detail, his first step isn't real good out of his stance. But I'll tell you what, he gets out and he gets around and when he made contact to a dude, he took him down. Yeah. So like, look, I mean, that's just one play, but that's kind of the point of like, I can get really detailed on some of my breakdown, but I'm seeing progress. So there's still things to improve on, but there's progress. Mac, maybe you can add to this a little bit then, and, and again, help everyone who listens to this show understand uh, how how close or how far away this offense is to start clicking. But that play in particular, Honky, I, I watched it. I saw that blocked by Farniak. But Wandell also had to make someone miss right at the, at the line of scrimmage practically. And if it isn't Wandell, I mean, he's probably tackled. After he gets past that guy, off of the races. But it, Ohio State, for example, maybe runs that play, and it looks awesome. It, it, that's our future, right? I mean, it's just that still something's not quite right. Well, you know, some of that depends a little bit on what the defense was was charged to do that particular play. It looked like he was busting inside really hard and charging that gap. That, that, D, that, the that DN. Yeah, that DN. So uh, there was a drill that they showed. Uh, when the, If you remember when the – the Big Ten was in town, and they were showing Jerry DiNardo was falling around Austin, and they were doing this drill where designated based on how the defense went, how the first step of the offensive line was. It was either inside or straight up. And that's just another example of when you're moving faster, you're going to a tempo, you kind of dictate your your blocking scheme based on how the defensive player maybe plays his gap or whatnot. And for that, I think Hymas did a good job of pushing him that way. Now, to your point, Dave, if that's a Chase Young, that's still probably a tackle. But it isn't. I feel like Minnesota's not going to have anybody like that either. So we can still kind of challenge that and move those guys and make plays. And Wandale absolutely made a great play. But I think the concept of the offense still showed out on that play. I mean, he he pushed that guy over. It allowed Wandale to make a good move. But once he did make that move, then it was pretty open. Um, well, so- think think about it. that play was probably intended to go up the middle, but yeah. that defensive end is uh. crashing down so hard, and Hymas just says, "Okay, fine, I'm just going to take right. you down the line," and then Wandell just ends up, you know, making the one cut. He does make a four star cut, right? Mm-hmm. He did. He made that athletic play you want him to make. Then he cuts it outside, and at that point, there was nobody out there for him. We can look at it multiple ways. We can say, oh, that was a disastrous play and we got lucky. Or we can say that, you know what, we adjusted to what a defense did and and we found a way to make it work. I guess it just depends. I mean, you can have scarlet colored glasses like I have and say it's progress. Or you can always look at every play and go, nothing looks perfect. That's right. I think that's how it kind of feels right now. But Mac, maybe the one play that did look at least perfect to me, I thought that was a brilliant design, was the little shuttle pass to Wandell. Yeah, that, I thought... Adrian Martinez showed good composure on that one, too, to get the ball and flick it to him and make sure that play happened. And, you know, Wandell just continues to prove what kind of weapon he's going to be for us in the future. And as far as him getting tracked down at the end of that play, once they zoom in on that, you see he's just about to juke the guy in front of him and make a big, like, dead leg move. And that's when the guy behind him tackles him. So unless he is completely capable at at shifting and, and juking at full speed, which would be amazing, then he wasn't running full out. But either way. The kid's moving. You know, if this week we can get him going, get Maurice going, keep Mills going, then I feel like we're going to have plenty for for Minnesota to handle on offense. One other thing on the offensive line I want to talk about because everyone else is talking about uh, is the bad snaps. Boomer, you said you are able to watch from home. I'm sure you saw some of the the snaps and the the frustration that that mounts with that. We had a really interesting uh, quote from uh, Matt Farniak, I believe, Speaking about how, you know, that everybody needs to help Cam Jurgens fix this. 
right now it's just uh, we got to figure out a way to get it right. I mean, there's too many snaps that are going wild, they're going wrong, they're messing up the reads, and we got to find a way to fix it. I mean, it's on all of us. We got to find some type of way to get those snaps right to his chest. Heading into week seven, we need perfect snaps every time. I mean, that's that's the number one role as a center, and I mean, that's what we expect from our center. But um, do you have hope that it's going to get fixed here going forward? Maybe the bye week coming up might be the trick. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not sure how many weeks it takes to for a center to figure out the snaps. Apparently, it's at least six. So, we, you know, we've got <laughs> a little ways to go there. Uh, and that is frustrating. I think everybody's frustrated by it. You're hearing it, like you said, from Farniak in the press conference. It's just a challenge. That's something that has to be fixed, especially when you're looking at Minnesota this week. I can't imagine, you know, cold and rain is going to help our, our snapping all that much is what they're predicting and snow. So, I mean, yeah, that's a good yeah, point. you're really going to have to hope you're getting this kind of resolved here in some way, shape or form. I don't know if a different technique is called for or something else. Boomer, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this. And, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this already, but I haven't heard a lot of people bring up the idea of the dead ball snap, um, which is something actually that dates back to, uh, as far as I understand, Jock Sutherland at the University of Pittsburgh um, way back, uh, like almost 100 years Yeah, it's pretty old school. Yeah, but it's become back into fashion uh, because of all these spread teams. And instead of using kind of that traditional spiral, the snap of the wrist, uh, you're really just kind of throwing the ball back there with no spin, which might be slightly slower but far more accurate and easier to teach. And many, many teams have gone to this. Uh, Honky, I think, you know, we found an uh, ESPN article from two years ago where Jim Harbaugh was, mm-hmm. you know, was saying that Michigan was going to go to this. Just watching the highlights from from this week that many teams that run out of the shotgun use the dead ball snap. Uh, Honky, Mac, any thoughts on this and why maybe we haven't tried to, to go this route? Something has to be done. And I can be scarlet colored glasses on a lot of things. I'm not on this. The snaps are a total issue. They're an issue that screw up everything on this offense from the timing and everything. And I'm not trying to just pile on a redshirt freshman that hasn't played the position before, but it doesn't matter. We heard the audio just a few minutes ago from Matt Farniak, and he said it as much. The number one priority of the center is to get the ball to the quarterback first. So, Dave, to your point, I don't know why we haven't maybe gone a different route with the technique, but what I will say is you either change the technique – get good at the the technique that they are teaching, or you get under center. And I said that last week. Get under center. Get in the eye formation. Get under center. Single back like we did against Illinois on the pitch to to Mills for a touchdown. I don't care. We can't keep snapping the ball high over the quarterback. And the reality is is not all of them are high. We just rewatched the the play to to Vedral. Mm -hmm. And Mac and I, before this, we slowed it down. That snap wasn't high. It was a little bit high, but it was very catchable. But the problem is we've had so many bad snaps that our quarterbacks, honestly, they're just spooked right now. Everything changes. We've been talking about this with Martinez for weeks. Even if the ball snapped right at his helmet, he's still jumping because I think he's just anticipating the ball getting high. So we have to get to some kind of consistent way. If you're going to be a a primarily shotgun-based team, you better be good at snapping out of the shot. I'll tell you what, too. You, there's no telling how much difference that makes in the ability to read what the defense is about to do. Mm-hmm. If your key yeah. is to be a linebacker, inside linebacker, and then they shift right before the snap, and then your eyes come off it because yep. you have to look up for the ball, and then you look back down, and where are your cues? I, I mean, that sounds stupid. Like, this one little thing could, could change all of that, and maybe the play isn't affected at all. But you don't know. And the fact is— And it's not a little thing. And it isn't a little thing because it's been—we're talking— Talking about it six weeks in, I thought we had kind of cleared this up by week three, and then like it just keeps creeping back in. Yep. So it is a concern, and it is an issue. I mean, we are who we are at this point. Frost said it himself, and at this point at the end of the year, we have issues with the snap, and it's and it's going to continue to trouble this offense, and will be a, a you know kind of a thorn in Adrian's side about getting his flow and everything going. That might be one thing that you know, say Vedro comes in, he plays. That might be one thing that we're just a little bit ahead of because maybe Vedder won't be so gun-shy to bad snaps. Who yeah, knows? He, he, he might... hasn't seen as many, right. that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. Uh, well, let's transition to the quarterback position there, Mac, and maybe the wide receivers kind of at the same time. Um, you you mentioned that when you rewatched the film, you, it wasn't as bad of a performance as you maybe thought. You know, Adrian was 13 of 20, I think, for, what, about 145? So not big numbers, but actually 13 and 20 is not bad. 
and there was a lot of drops there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe up to five. I, I can think of at least three big ones. The Wandell's drop. Look, Wandell was amazing. And the next play, he made an amazing catch, but he dropped a screen pass that probably was a touchdown. Uh, Noah had a drop. Um, Austin Allen had a drop. JD had a drop. Yeah, JD had a drop early. That was a, a first, first down, down. And seven. And it killed the drive. Um, so those really, really hurt that. At the same time, it still doesn't feel like Adrian is finding anybody downfield. And that's why I wanted to talk about Adrian and the receiving core in the sense that um, especially when JD was out, you know, you just don't have as many explosive guys out there. Wandell's the guy, and you have guys like Noah and Mike Williams and and et cetera that just aren't seem to be getting open because Adrian's not seeing anybody downfield that much. Not to piggyback off of what we just talked about with snaps, but everyone wants to compare us to a year ago, and where some of it might be that we don't have a Stanley Morgan type receiver. Dave, you brought that up a couple weeks ago, and I think that's a very valid reason. Some of it also might be because the snaps have been a serious issue. And if he's not seeing something downfield, if Martinez isn't, it might be because he's not looking downfield right as the ball is coming to him. Mm -hmm. And that's something he wasn't worried about a year ago. So we've made progress in a 100 areas, but we have not made progress in snaps. No, And because Mm -hmm. it's something that we do on every play, I think it affects how we look downfield. Now, to the point of the drops, yeah, we had like four or five drops. That's Mm -hmm. not good. That doesn't help us. and And they hurt us in some big times. Uh, first down opportunities, like the one with Spielman right at the beginning of the game. Yep. So those are things that, that they do affect that us. That almost turned into an interception. It didn't, but it yeah. easily could have. That ball landed in Patty Fisher's hands. One of the plays that we did in our film breakdown was out of the shotgun, in the pocket. It was a great job by both Martinez and Allen. Allen cuts off his route that he was running and then starts going deep because he sees that kind of a scramble is going on. Martinez steps up, goes to his left, throws it kind of against his body. Yeah. It's a total Verdusco yeah. kind of coached move. And you know what? To all the people right now, and we're going to have multiple questions in our Plowboy Barbecue and a mailbag here today. We have multiple questions about, you know, should Vedral just be the starter anyways? Because that's what we always say. The, the backup always has to be the starter. Yeah. I don't think we fully appreciate what Martinez does. We see all the bad, but, man, that dude makes some plays that are special plays, and that was one of them. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard the audio call, but Tim Brando pretty much was, you know, just gasping. He was like, oh my, look at that throw. And it's just a really hard throw to make. Very few yeah. people can make that. And that's, that's why you have Adrian out there and, you know, you got to fix everything else. And that special player comes out when he makes those type of plays. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Uh, we have a question in our Plowboys barbecue and a about the quarterback situation. And obviously Martinez, he got injured. And in the fourth quarter, we did see Vedrill come out and play. Did a really good job in that quarter and, and, and you know, finished the game for us. But uh, Springfield Nate, Paper Stadiums, uh, UConn Chris all all wrote into us. I'll use Paper Stadiums' question. Uh, he goes, you know, I believe most realistic fans are hoping for a 7-8 win season. Can NU still do that if, if Martinez is out? And I think that's kind of the general theme is that, you know, right now is, is – it best to go ahead with Martinez? Is it best to go ahead with Vedral? I'll start with you, Mac. I guess if you had those options, I mean, what would you do right now? If Adrian's healthy, I'd obviously go with Adrian. I mean, that's throughout all of spring ball, throughout all of this entire offseason, he has been the guy that Frost has said they were going to go with. So I, I'm just not going to get too nervous about how the season started out and blame it all on Adrian. It's the reason for all of our offensive struggles. He's played a role. I'm not going to say he hasn't played a role, but I'm not going to freak out about that. That being said, I have a ton of confidence in, in Noah Vedder going out there and executing, you know, and, and playing really crisp football. And that may be what this offense really needs right now. So it could look really good with Vedrill in. It could look very efficient. And that still wouldn't mean he's a better quarterback for our team. But it could be the shot in the arm that we need going forward. I, I think, yes, to answer the question, 7-8 wins with Noah Vedral, I totally believe it. Well, Dave, UConn Chris asked, uh, you know, can we just have people put their faith in Frost and the coaching staff that they know what they're doing and that they'll play the best player at each position? The people that are calling for Vedral right now, is this just the traditional, you know, the second string player is always the, the best one because the first string guy makes a couple of mistakes and we're always calling for his head? I mean, you know, we're hearing that Vedral people want to see him out there. Sure. That's probably it, simply put. But I think you could have a more robust conversation of like with the coaching staff and, you know, how how much are they, you know, measuring progress with wins and losses this season compared to how they're building the program year over year, right? 
their installation of this offense, their faith in their starting quarterback, their belief in their redshirt freshman center will get it figured out. Uh, these all things might actually indicate that, you know, this is a long-term play and over, over time, it's going to be worth it, uh, to build this team into contender in year three and four. I, does playing Noah Vedral, um, set us back at all? No, I don't think so at all. It might add depth. I do think they're going to play Adrian if he's healthy. Um, if, but if he's, he's not to the point where he's not healthy, um, he's off for two weeks and you got to feel he's good after that. Yeah, I agree. I think at the end of the day, the decision that's going to be made is not going to be by Frost. It's going to be by the medical staff and they're going to tell you he's either ready to go or he's not. If 2 a.m. is ready to go, he's going to be playing. If he's not ready to go, I think we have very capable options in his place. And I think that is a position of strength for us from where we were in the past. Again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the progress thing. And this is where I want to get into some of the very specifics. Earlier, I alluded to it. I mentioned a week ago that we need to win an ugly game, an ugly Big Ten game. This, this is ugly. <clears throat> this was. game looked a lot like Michigan-Iowa, right? And those are two teams that we can aspire to, to play like right now, right? I mean, those teams have had a lot of success against us. I know we all freak out if we say we aspire to play like Iowa, but they've had some success against us recently. So, mm-hmm. hell, you know, for the time being, we aspire to play like them. Well, they just lost 10-3. to 3. Yeah, that's that's the game they just played. We just won a game ugly. That, I mean, I talked to Iowa Sean actually after that game, honk, and he's like, you know, turnovers, right? You know, they had way too many turnovers early in the game too, and uh, you can't do that. And um, Boomer, uh, for the first time, we played a clean game when it came to, to turnovers, which was critical with Northwestern, right? I mean, they make the game ugly. And at the end of the day, we actually uh, won the turnover battle against a pretty darn good Northwestern defense. I mean, uh, I, I think Patty Fisher and that Graziano guy, I mean, those guys are probably NFL players. So the turnover battle was won. Uh, the one great thing we did Saturday was we didn't turn it over, and that was probably the difference in the game. Uh, young offenses can make plays. They can also make mistakes. Um, we need to limit those mistakes. We still had a couple that cost us a drive here and there with a drop or a penalty or things like that. But if we limit the mistakes, we're going to have chances to win games. Yeah, that was one of the things, you know, when I was tweeting furiously during the game, would mention that the game was going to come down to that who makes that first big turnover. I mean, there was that brief moment where I think it was our first drive where uh, – you know, one of our passes went off a receiver and hit a Northwestern guy in the hands, and he dropped it. And that was about the closest thing we had to a turnover all day. So, and, and that was you know the turning point of the game. You know, that's how we got the ball back when Northwestern was kind of threatening to drive midfield. And we see, just like you mentioned, the Iowa game, how critical turnovers are, especially in these low-scoring, ugly games. And Minnesota's made a living off these kind of ugly games that they're eking wins out of. You can, you know, make fun of them for winning a bunch of close games, but you know what? They're winning them. They're finding ways to win, and this is what teams do. And if you want to be a good team, you have to find ways to win these games. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't just any random no-turnover game. That's the first no-turnover game of the Frost era. I mean, you want to talk about progress. Right there, we didn't turn the ball over, and we win the game because of it. We have one turnover in that game, we lose. That's a promise. We don't turn that ball over, we win that game. It's a second straight game we don't fumble. Yeah. Okay, I mean, think about that for a second. Lose a fumble. Apparently, Diedrich Mills' technique works. Yeah. Hey, two straight games, you lose a fumble. We did have three interceptions against Ohio State, but, you know, a famous Ohio State coach, Woody Page, said there's only three things that happen when you throw it, and two of them aren't good. Uh, But but fumbling the ball, just holding on to that ball. We've gone two straight games without doing it. That's progress. You know, we didn't just win a Big Ten, an ugly game. We won a game where the the quarterback got hurt. And think of a year ago. If a quarterback got hurt on Nebraska a year ago, we were hosed. And in this game, we didn't have Martinez for the fourth quarter. We didn't have Washington for the first half. We didn't have Spielman for the second half. Again, if people want to look at this and say there's no progress being made. We didn't have have our best defensive tackle. Well, I'm I'm just talking offense right now. I'm just saying 319 yards of offense a week after Wisconsin put up 243 yards of offense on this defense. This team is making progress. It's ugly at times. It's not always fun to watch. But this team found a way to win a game with a fourth-string kicker kicking a ball. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, this is the ult. Threw an upright. Forward, even. You can have the people on the scarlet-colored glasses side and the people that are on the pessimist side. Somebody can sit there and say, oh, my God, I saw the video, and it, it should have hit a guy's hand. Who gives two craps? It yeah. didn't. Yeah. It went through the uprights with a fourth-string kicker 
to win a 13-10 Big Ten game. It's progress and it's reality at the same time. That's where we're at, yes. right? I mean, we have to celebrate the victories. We keep wanting to skip steps in this in this evolution of our program. We keep hoping we're, we're, we've you yes. managed to leapfrog something, and we just keep finding out that, nope. If someone thinks I'm overly scarlet-colored glasses, I would be telling you that we should be ranked right now. I'm not. Not right now. We can beat, but we beat Minnesota. <laughs> Rank us. <laughs> but, but my thing is, there is progress, and that's part of where we are in this process. Yeah, we're just in the middle of this process, trying to get us where we want to be. And there's a lot of steps to take. We've we've certainly come a long way, but I don't think anybody in the building's happy with where we are either. You know, as a coach, you're never completely. You can go undefeated and not be completely happy because you don't play as well as you want to. We just got to keep finding ways to, to give ourselves chances to win. And that's why we did, I thought, a really good show. I'm going to pat us on the back. Last week, Thank we you. talked about progress and process and where we are at in the process. And we are making progress. Correct. And to win a game like this is big. I've heard others follow suit on that. Maybe we were the first one last week. but And Mac, to your point, I mean, it's a recalibration of the expectations of this team, sure. really, right? You know, and it, the bottom line is, is that, uh, Frost said that we wanted to win one one week at a time, a one-week schedule, and that's what we have next week versus Minnesota. And it's a critical week. We're going to dive into that, but I think this is a huge opportunity for this team to you know, put themselves in a position where they can actually compete for that big 10 West title. Yeah, last week was a critical week. You know, we, we had to beat Northwestern. Absolutely yep. had to beat Northwestern for the season's goals to remain intact. Nothing's changed this week. We have to beat Minnesota if we're gonna if we if we want these goals for the beginning of the season to come true. This is a team you've got to handle business with. So it's another opportunity to grow. It's another opportunity to show yourself against like talent or whatever you want to call it. But there's certainly you know it's a division opponent. So like everything's on the line this week again. It's time to throw the bones. All right, guys, let's throw the bones and talk about the defensive side. Uh, and uh, Against Northwestern, you know, another good good performance. We've uh, kept uh, at least, what, two Big Ten teams now under 300 yards, Illinois and Northwestern. We'll, we'll forget about the Ohio State performance. And, uh, Mac, you know, there's several good individual performances out there. Let's start on the D-line and talk about Darian Daniels a little bit. He was in the backfield quite a bit and uh, caused havoc there for Aiden Smith and company. Yeah, he had a really kind of gritty game considering we were down a defensive lineman for the from jump from this. A very disruptive, a lot of penetration. He's a very he's so much more athletic than you realize for a guy his size. Mac, how different is he than what we had a year ago at nose tackle? <sighs> Uh, considerably, <laughs> considerably different, uh, considerably more explosive. I mean, just the way that he gets his hands up there and he dives in and, and finishes tackles. I, he's been a humongous difference maker on that D line and the D line with the exception of one game, the game we don't talk to, uh, talk about. Um, <laughs> I felt like our defensive line has been disruptive for the most part all season, holding the edge well. Um, but he has been a, he's kind of been the tip of the spear for that for me. Honky, how about Caleb Tanner? You're talking about progress, right? And mm-hmm. starting to see some guys that are really starting to show themselves, some of that four-star talent. And I think Caleb Tanner is one of those guys really starting to come on the scene. Yeah, he's a guy that, quite honestly, I want to see more of. I think he had the third most snaps of any of the outside linebackers in the last game. And he's getting to the point where he needs to be second most or maybe first yeah. most snaps. I mean, he is, when he's on the field, you see him making plays. The athleticism is not a question. Right. And so right now we need some playmakers in certain spots on the defense. Like Alex Davis as an example. I think he's he's been really solid for us. And he knows what he's doing. He's been in the program now for four or five right. years. But I'm not seeing a lot of plays being made out of him. When I see Tanner out there, and even if it's just for a limited number, man, it's a sack or it's a play in the backfield, right. whatever it is. So I'm not saying bench Alex Davis. I'm just saying we got to find ways to get Caleb Tanner out there more. Um you know, to go back to that D line too. You know, with Khalil Davis out last week, Ben Stilley had mm-hmm. the most snaps right. of anybody. He had seventy snaps, and that's a guy who's not even a traditional starter. How about Casey Rogers getting out there for seven snaps? Those are big moments there to get new guys into the mix. 
I mean, there was no wasted snap on that game. And if you played last week, you yeah. were a serious player because we weren't, you know, we were in no position to be playing people that that weren't ready to go. I mean, so for you to get out there and even get a couple snaps, that's that's great. So for Casey Rogers, awesome. All right, good stuff. You know, secondary wise, uh, Lamar had the big pick, uh, but I think there was a good play in the secondary overall. And Honky, we saw that CBS Sports actually had a mock draft out, I think today or yesterday, where Lamar was actually listed in the first round, like 17th. Pretty amazing, huh? I tweeted it out, Dave, after you texted that to me because I didn't see it. You you sent it to me. And what was the word you used for uh, Lamar? Perseverance. Look, he has to do a lot of work between now and April or May to, to be number 17. But just the fact, I think you're absolutely right, that word perseverance where he was a year ago after that Purdue game and right. basically being benched and his his black shirt's taken away, right. and to where he is now speaks so highly to his perseverance and to the coaching ability and the consistency of having a defensive back coach like Travis Fisher back yeah. for another year. Right. This is another feather in the cap of this coach's staff to take a guy that wasn't going to – he's not going to be number 17 in the NFL draft or even projected at that – if we still have Mike yeah. Riley and his rotating crew of defensive back coaches, you know, that none of that's happening. So it is a feather in the cap of the development of this staff. What Lamar Jackson, we've been harping on it. Oh, Mac, yeah. you've been saying it since week one. Yeah. He just looks like a different player. He's, he's, he's changed the way he's played completely. He's far more physical. I mean, if he, at, at his height and weight in, this, in, the, in the time that he's played, if he runs a four four forty, I mean he's going to be drafted very high because at six three two fifteen yeah. two twenty, and the and the athleticism that he brings to the table, and now that he's playing a little more physical, he is actually a guy that has some draft potential. So seventeen overall, that's that's very high, but still getting him out there to be talked about. Nobody on our team was being talked about in any kind of round last sure. year, hardly. So this is good. Yeah. That's progress. Yeah, and I know that some people are going to complain about, or some Wildcat fans are going to complain about, oh, that was a pass interference, and and it was. It really was. Yeah, yeah, Honus <laughs> definitely got to him early. But, I mean, look, there's I mean, there's a call against, I think it was um, – Taylor Britt earlier, like, and, and I mean, it was, I mean, there was not a pass interference. And, and so that happens all the time. It just happens at the end yep. of the game with a minute left, right? That happens in the second quarter and people will forget about Jojo it. Jojo Doman had one too. That was bad. Yeah. Hey, we got a call going our way. We've had enough rub routes against us and pick plays and all those things. If you think I'm going to apologize for us getting a, a, a fortunate call in that sense. It's not going to yeah. happen. Wrong podcast for that. Well, because, yes. the, hey, the next game when it happens against us and we, we're complaining about it, do you think the opponent's going to sit there and apologize? No. So, yeah, no. so great. We had to play go our way there. And we still had to make the play. You still had to catch it. You, you know. And I love, I love this coaching staff, how they could look at Lamar and go, you should have cut it outside. I mean, it's great <laughs> that you caught it. Everybody. <laughs> it's great that you caught it. But, man, you, that should be a touchdown, yeah. Lamar. Yeah, I rewatched that after. Who who was actually uh, one of the players were actually giving him a hard time about that in the press conference? And I rewatched it, and, and it was just lined up to go on the left. Can't side. Taylor Britt and Moberry both said something about him busting it out <laughs> left, you know? But but uh, hey, it still worked out at the end. So great stuff. Look, we can make fun of Illinois Northwestern all we want for offense, but you know what? We held both of them under three hundred yards. You set aside the Ohio State game. We're not going to play another team like Ohio State during the regular season. So you know what? You throw them aside. We've held two divisional foes under 300 yards. And for a defense that coming into this season, that was our biggest concern. Yeah. Well, the defense is doing overall just fine. Well, the last quarter of the game, you know, what was it, about four minutes left that we went out like three and out. We decided we're going to punt again. It was tied. And, you know, for us to do that, for Frost to do that and have the faith in the defense, like, well, if we if we pin them back here, I have every confidence in our defense to hold these guys. And we did. You know, like, that's the kind of thing we haven't made. We haven't made an average quarterback or an average running back or an average wide receiver look like an All-American once this year. We've had some All-American guys look like All-Americans on us, but we haven't, we haven't put anybody up there that, like, normally – wouldn't put on a show that day, put on a show against us. And I guess <laughs> this is so pathetic when you say it like this. I guess that's progress. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, but it is because like you could like once we, I didn't feel like we were going to lose that game once we punted that because I'm like, well, the defense has been strong all day. I haven't seen anything from this team to scare me. 
Yeah. Boomer, actually, did you have anything like other specialty, like punting? I mean, it was pretty boring punt. There were a lot of punts, but there's. Yeah, there were a lot of punts. I mean, that was a classic field position kind of game, although, although oddly enough, field position just was weird in that game. It was like, uh, my math, we averaged, both teams had same average starting field position, about 27 and a half, and it was like our scoring drives, except for the last one, didn't come when we had our best field position. So it was really kind of kind of an odd game. We didn't take advantage of it when we had opportunities. And neither did Northwestern for that point. It was just a strangely strangely played game. Yeah, we are always so inconsistent on how we start, and it drives you crazy. But ultimately, uh, the one short drive we had resulted in three points we needed most. Yep. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. First of all, they're undefeated. They've played well at the end of some tight games. Uh, I think they're they're big and physical up front. They have a big tight end that helps them in the running game. Their quarterback's been really efficient. they got two really good receivers. They're going to smash you and run some RPOs and take shots and have uh, been putting up a lot of points. Defensively, I think they're a lot more sound than what we saw last year, uh, more athletic. Uh, so they've definitely improved. You can tell it's year three of his tenure up there, and they're starting to look like the team that he wants them to look like. It's going to be a big challenge for us, uh, but a great opportunity as well. All right, guys, let's put on our scarlet-colored glasses and talk about, um, well, actually just focus on Minnesota for the the time being here. And uh, it's an important week. Uh, Mac, you alluded to it already. Last week was an important victory. You had to beat Northwestern to keep your goals intact. Uh, it feels even more so, or at least more... Uh, tangible, I guess, at this point, because we have a Minnesota team that's 5-0, and they're now ranked, I think, in the coaches' poll. You can claim that 5-0 and is as suspect as you want, but reality is they're 2-0 and in the Big Ten, and if they could go 3-0 and and hand us a second loss, that is a, a big uh, climb to, to make for us, and we're not even talking about having to worry about Wisconsin or Iowa yet. And so uh, going up to Minneapolis and getting a victory is pretty critical here in this Big Ten race. And, uh, you know, Minnesota, if we just look at, let's focus on the, the matchup they had with Illinois last week and compare what we did with Illinois. They won 40-17. to 17. They had almost 500 yards of offense, I think, but we had almost 700. So we had a better offensive performance with that Illinois team, but they kept care of the ball better, had better control the game throughout, uh, rushed really well. Um, what do you see against this Minnesota team against uh, Nebraska, your initial takes? You know, this is kind of an interesting matchup. As we all know, uh, based on P.J. Flex's uh, press conferences throughout the last two years, they're, they were very young a few years ago, and, and now they're starting to come of age. And they do have some legitimate skill players on the outside, and they're pretty big on the offensive line. I mean, they're huge on the offensive line, Mac. It's easy to make fun of PJ, but he's recruited. One of their tackles is his own country. Yeah, I he, mean, what is he? Seven foot four hundred? Or am I? Am I wrong? Legend yeah, goes. I, Boomer, look that up. I mean, how big is that guy? He's four hundred pounds, right? I'll find out here for you. Hold on. And it's not like it's not like a. You know, like a Sean Bradley, like tall, just for the sake of tall. This guy's a, like a legitimate athlete at that position. But you know, they're they're going to challenge us in different ways. It's it's in Minnesota, which you know the weather today or this uh, coming week could be suspect. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sweat Minnesota. I'm just not gonna let it, I'm just not gonna let it happen. I'm not gonna let that uh, that tie wearing half zip polo wearing guy go. <laughs> That's a really I mean it's really interesting. I've thought about this and we're like we beat Minnesota handily last yeah. year right now the year before they beat uh, us but that's a whole different story um but again going back to that illinois matchup I, I think it was reggie corbin the illinois running back and he had 200 and some yards against them illinois throttled minnesota last year remember that yeah. guys it was, it was later in the year after we played him i think it just throttled it was the week minnesota. after we played him yeah and this time around, Corbin gets held for under 100, and he's like, I don't know, it's the same team, but they just were that much better. Honky, is it is it the youth finally you know, catching up and helping P.J. Fleck's uh, program really uh, turn the corner? So, yeah, I think that, you know, this is year three of Fleck, and you could start to see that improvement there. And quite honestly, again, I've made other references to looking at Minnesota as kind of a roadmap, and I, it's a weird roadmap for Nebraska, but – you know what? Fleck is a year further ahead than Frost is in his system. And also, when we look at Minnesota right now, they've done nothing impressive. They beat Georgia Southern and South Dakota State combined by 10 points. And you know what? 
They're five and zero, oh. and they're ranked because of it. They're like Mike Riley's second year in Nebraska. You're undefeated, but let's see, let's see how much water you. But can the hold. reality is, what it tells you is, you just need to win games. You need to win them. If it's thirteen to ten, or if it's ten to three, like Michigan, and Iowa, I don't care. You just got to win games, and that's what Minnesota is showing us right now. An important thing about this game is, I can tell you immediately if we would lose it, I can tell you we are immediately out of the. Big Ten West race. And not not because, you know, that we can't turn around and win the rest of our games. It's more because it doesn't matter. If we lose this game to Minnesota, they'll become 3-0 and in the West, and their next two, two games are Rutgers and Maryland. Yeah, they've got an inside track, yeah, if we don't win this. I mean, this game, and, and I'll tell you right now, what's going on in Minneapolis and Boomer, I can't wait to hear your feedback when you come back next week, when you kind of get the, you know, the boots on the ground, uh, you know, discussions going on with Gopher fans. But, I mean, they <laughs> they they think this is going to be a victory, and they are already starting to talk about how the last weekend of the season is going to be the Axe game against Wisconsin, and it's actually going to mean something. They already are getting to that point. And I'm telling you, I think Nebraska, this is no better week than ever right now to put those Gophers back in their place a bit. This is the team that we ended our losing streak. Correct. Against last last year, and we and we ended it in pretty good fashion. I think we yeah, scored on our, like our first four possessions. Uh, what we jump out twenty eight to nothing on those guys yeah. before half. And so you know our offense isn't performing as we've talked about as productively as it did a year ago, but our defense is performing way better. And right now Minnesota's defense is performing better than it did a year ago offensively. They've got a couple running backs, man. They've got Smith and Brooks. These are guys that we're gonna have to defend against. But I feel like, you know, that front seven that we've got right now is playing pretty good. And, and their quarterback, he has right now, I'm looking at stats here, he has 30 rushes for negative 41 yards on the season. This is not a guy that's going to Justin Fields us all over the field. Boomer, you're going to be out there, and it, it looks like it could be cold and snow. It's a night game. Maybe a high is like 38. It's probably during the day. Snow showers possible, I think, in the evening. Correct. So it's you know lots of grain belt, uh, hopefully, to keep it I've warm had there. lots of grain belt before. That's a bad idea, Dave. Don't do that. <laughs> Any of our listeners, well, don't do um, that. Well, you know, Minnesota, uh, to hockey's point, though, I mean, that weather could really impact the game. I mean, if Minnesota can establish a run game, um, they might be all right. They have some great wide receivers as well. Tyler Johnson, some big guys, big tight ends. But if Tanner Morgan, who's a pretty good passer, can't really get the ball to him because of their, the conditions. It's going to come down to, to you know, the Minnesota run game against our run defense. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing I want to see is you know who's going to be able to establish a run, and that's been a problem of ours. Let's be honest, most of the years just trying to establish an inside running game, and if we're not able to do that, and the conditions are terrible, you know, how's that going to play out for either team? You know, I, I read an article how PJ Flex, you know, at Minnesota's practices this week, they're turning the AC down as low as they can, and they're having everybody dip their hands into ice water before every play. You know, that's a PJ Flex kind of thing, if there's ever any anything in the world. But you know, it's something they can do, and it's something we'll have to be ready for those weather conditions. And just like Mac and Honky said, this is a fascinating game. I, I personally love Nebraska-Minnesota as a rivalry game. I mean, it, it dates back for centuries. I, I mentioned it before how there are Oklahoma in an alternate timeline where we joined the Big Ten like we wanted to back in the teens and 20s. And, you know, they still have a winning record against us, and we need to start, uh, you know, turning that around. Ever since we joined the Big Ten, it's been a pretty even series. So this is a good way to hopefully turn that page a little bit. Yeah, good point, Boomer. We haven't talked yet about the – um, five dollar bits of broken chair trophy. Yeah, this is one of our favorite trophies, and um, you know it'll be out, and we have it right now, right? I, I guess we have it. Do we actually have it in our trophy case? How does that work? Yeah, we do, and that is actually a question that we got from coworker Eric uh, Boomer. This has to be a question for you. I know you love this trophy, but I'm, I'm not trying to give you a leading question, but from our Plowboys Barbecue and A uh, mailbag. Where does the $5 Bits of Broken Chair trophy rank nationally? The trophy itself, <laughs> not necessarily the game. Well, I mean, the trophy itself is great. If you want a – I mean, the Big Ten is known for their trophy games. And if you want a trophy game for the new millennium, you cannot do better than a costumed rodent and a fake Twitter personality coming together <laughs> to design a trophy on Twitter. I mean, that screams, this is perfect football trophy for the for the new age. I mean, that's exactly what you want. If you go back and look at all the weird trophies the Big Ten has, they all have convoluted, ridiculous storylines of how they came to be, whether it was the, you know, little brown jug or things like that. 
this is perfect for that. And we need to embrace it. It's not some corporate, you know, approved thing like, uh, I'm sorry, the Freedom Trophy or the whatever we play with with Iowa. Yeah, the Heroes, Heroes Trophy. trophy they're, they're nice and all, yeah. but come on. Those are put together in a corporate boardroom by a bunch of, you know, marketing execs that want to sell something. I mean, that's what it is. Or, or not very yeah, good at they're not good at it, apparently. Trophies. I mean, you know, we've seen what they did with the Cyhawk Trophy when it was all about the corn, you know, farmers. Yeah, they were, they were the Landgrant Trophy, where it's just stuff they glued together that Bob had in accounting on his desk that day because they needed a trophy. <laughs> uh, the $5 Bits of Broken Chair is fun, and that's what trophy games are supposed to be, and that's ultimately what all this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about fun and a good time, and schools have an enjoyable you know, rapport with each other. In Nebraska and Minnesota, we've had that for really a century, and we've kind of forgotten about it, and this is a great way to get it back. And, you know, last year we did an interview with the $5 Bits of Broken Chair group, and Boomer, you and I went out. We met with those guys the night before, the Friday night before the game, and it's a good trophy in terms of what the meaning is behind it. I mean, they, there's money being donated towards Team Jack on our side, and there's money, I think, on, on the Minnesota side being donated to, like, the Minnesota Children's Hospital. I might be messing up exactly where it is, but the point is there's even a good purpose behind it. I mean, across the board, it's a, it's a well-done trophy. It's a modern trophy in a day and age where everything becomes so darn corporate, and, and it's really cool. It, it, they've done a great job with it. So maybe to answer your the, the question, I guess, it, it's pretty high on our list, especially from a modern perspective. Well, just for the fun of it really quick, uh, because I do love trophy games. Boomer, what is your other favorite trophy game? I'll, I'll ask either two guys, Ooh, too. Other favorite trophies? Uh, man, that's tough. You know, the old oak and bucket is great, and the little brown jug are great trophies. I, I kind of enjoy the, the platypus trophy between Oregon and Oregon State, just because that's yeah, true. it's just a trophy that they lost for decades and found in a closet. I mean, you can't do much better than that. So simple things like that. And, and, you know, the various axe trophies, whether it's Paul Bunyan's axe with Wisconsin and Minnesota or the Stanford Cal axe that has its own legends behind it. So those are probably my big ones that I enjoy the most. Hockey, do you have a favorite? Boomer, what was the one that was a phone? Oh, yeah. Isn't that Iowa State, Missouri? If I remember right. Yeah. What, what do you think, Mac? Uh, I've always liked the, the Goblet of Fire uh, when all those uh, <laughs> the three top wizarding schools of the world get together and... And place their champions at a you know a match against wits and 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 uh, <laughs> spell spell casting. So I guess that's probably my favorite. There you go, millennials. We're reaching out to you. Yeah, oh, there sorry. we go. <laughs> All right, let's move on to predictions. Uh, let's uh, let's start with Mac. Well, the fact that this is uh, possibly a bad weather game and and we have a potential backup quarterback. Uh, running the show for us. I can't imagine us scoring more than 14 points more than the Gophers. So I would put this score around 35 to 21, Nebraska. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Boomer? Ah, this is another one of those tough games where it's, you know, stats are telling you one thing and, you know, the heart tells you another. What's the line right now, Boomer? Uh, before six- we started recording, it was seven and a half Minnesota. It's been as high as eight Minnesota, which kind of surprises me as close as they've played. And it started at six and a half, right? In, in a lot of ways, we're very similar teams. We're just kind of playing lackadaisical ball against generally inferior opponents, but Minnesota's found ways to win them. You know, they do have some stats that are in their favor, like time and possession. They control the ball well. They're better at penalties and turnovers than we have been. You know, the weather's an interesting factor, but God help us. I just, I don't want to see us lose to the Gophers. Last time we were there was Riley's best game against them, so I figure I'll be a good presence again. Let's go Nebraska 24, Minnesota 18. All right, 24-18. All right, Honky, you? Look, I think defensively, I'm not as worried about Morgan. I don't think he's going to beat us up with his legs. That's not going to happen. I don't think he's as good of a passer as what uh, Montez was for for Colorado. Uh, But we do have to show that we can play a Big Ten defensive game in the snow, most likely, or in the the Mm. cold, against Smith and Brooks. They've got some really talented running backs. And where I've seen the most improvement, especially defensively right now, is in that front seven, that D-line, those linebackers. I mean, this is going to be a Big Ten – Yep physical game in the trenches. And so, of course, I'm going to pick us to win. I mean, I'm not going to pick us to lose this game, but this is not going to be a, a, a real fun game, I think, to watch if you didn't have a, a rooting interest. I'm going to give Nebraska the victory. I think the weather's going to play a pretty big role in this. We're going to have to be able to run the ball no matter who the quarterback is for us because I think the, the, the wind and the, the snow and the weather and everything's going to be affecting. 
We're going to go 21-17. Sounds suspicious to my, my numbers there. Yeah. Sounds like Minnesota will get a field goal in the snow somehow, but uh, we pull out the victory 21-17. That's right. All right, yeah, you know, Hockey, I've I, I been looking at that Illinois game as comparable to, and, you know, they did have less turnovers and, and those various different things. So it's hard to read. You know, before that game, Minnesota has been struggling rushing the ball a little bit. They do have talented running backs, but they are actually been throwing the ball a lot more, and I think that will really be interesting to see how that plays out because if the weather is as bad as it could be, that's going to be a challenge for both teams. And, Boomer, you just mentioned that, you know, like – can we run the ball? And that's probably my biggest concern here. And I, I haven't seen it consistently uh, all year. And so I, I'll take the Gophers to beat us uh, 17-13. What, do you go to this game too, Dave? Or is there something I need to know about here? Yeah. I am not going to this game. <laughs> I will be rooting for Nebraska harder than ever. I'm just being honest. I think it's a recalibration of my expectations of this team. And I don't see us competing for the West um, with what I've seen. I want them to prove me totally wrong. I want them to go out, win the game, and then I think we get a bye week. We win two more winnable games, and we are 7-2 and two going into Wisconsin, and, not, and we're looking at an 8-4, and four, or maybe we pull off an upset between Wisconsin and Iowa, or 9-3, and three, and I'm ecstatic. But yeah. until I see it, I'm, I'm, I, I need them to prove me that they can go on the road in those type of conditions and run the ball against Minnesota to win the game. I'm glad you did because, I mean, this shouldn't be four guys all picking one team to win this. This is a game that, I mean, look, it's clear as day. I mean, it's not just what Vegas is saying. Minnesota can absolutely beat us. There's no argument about that. We have to play another clean game. This is another bit of progress for us is that we have to play better than we did a week ago, and we're going to have to win a Big Ten game. And this time it's going to be on the road, and this time it's going to be in conditions. So – this is another chance for us to make a ton of progress. And if we can win this game 13-10, to 10, if we can win it the exact same score we just won last week, that is major progress with all the other things, all the other factors that are, that are brought into yeah, it. I mean, this is yeah, great. when you think about it, this is one of those things that if there were any frost critics when you came into here, this is what they'd always say is, is this you know Central Florida-type offense going to be able to work in the Big Ten? And I think this is probably one of those games that's going to be that huge answer for that it's, it's lousy conditions it's cold yeah. it's a team that loves to control the ball and can run it if they want to and plays an ugly game and is this going to be a sign that it works and uh, oh yeah uh, they do have an offensive tackle that's 400 pounds so i did look that up daniel falele <laughs> i believe from australia so yeah they, they they've got a very large offensive line so it'll be interesting to see what they can do so yeah yep. Bo- boomer you're absolutely right this game is the kryptonite to what Frost system is all about, right? I mean, it's cold, it's northern, it's it's you know physical. I mean, it's all those things. We always talk about the Big Ten has to adapt to us. We have to adapt to the Big Ten at times, and this is a game we have to adapt to the Big Ten. All right, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Let's start with Honky. Okay. Well, I want to start just with a little bit of recruiting here. In the last week, uh, Alabama inside linebacker Rodney Gross he picked Nebraska over. Bama, Auburn, OU, that's awesome. We also just recently here today, I think, got a DB from Miami, Ronald DeLancey. Mm-hmm. So that's great. You know, we're going national. We're getting a couple of big guys in there. But at the same time that I say that, and this is what I love about what Frost is doing, building the program, the walk-on class more than doubled in the last week alone. So we brought in uh, Baylor Brandon from Millard West. He's a 6'5", 265 D-tackle. We got an Aurora athlete, Nate Borkercher. We also got Mason Neiman from Waverly. So we're up to five now in the walk-on class. But the point is we're bringing in guys on yeah. top of the national dudes. I mean, that's how you're building the program. I love everything that we're seeing right now with the with the roster and the recruiting. All right, good stuff. Uh, Mac, what do you got? I had a few interesting conversations outside of the game uh, after we won about who should be the starting quarterback for, you know, Martinez or Vedral. Look, the last thing I want to do is get in an argument about which guy should be starting. I want to win football games. And whoever goes out there and if they trot out and, and they get a victory, then let's just root for that. It doesn't have to be who was right, who was wrong. If, if, yep. if, if Vedder goes out and gets a victory, that doesn't mean that it's because Adrian has sucked all this time. You know, the offense is still evolving. We're still waiting for some of these guys to step up and play. I'm rooting for good play. I'm yep. rooting for I'm rooting for our best effort, and that's all I want to see. If we can win with a backup, then people should be happy about that and not all freaked out about why we didn't make this move sooner in the season. So, yeah, um, an efficient game, a good game, just another opportunity for us to not beat ourselves and, and move forward and with this quest of getting better in the Big Ten. 
third straight game with no fumbles. Would be fantastic. All right, Boomer, uh, take us out of here. Well, I just wanted to uh, remind uh, Honky that it was not Woody Page who was coach of Ohio State, like he commented earlier. That, uh, that is Woody Hayes. Uh, Woody Page is our uh, friend and colleague on uh, Around the Horn or whatever it is on ESPN. So I hate you, Boomer. I know, but that's all right. So That's why I'm here. So, yep. And it was Woody Harrelson that was in White Man. <laughs> and, and the other Woody was on Toy Story, so keep that in mind. So, yeah. Honky was our minister of culture. We'd just be set by now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right guys great show let's get a victory up in minneapolis enjoy the time boomer for now let's call that a go big red cast go big red ski you ma sky you ma row the boat 